So Jesus, we say you're the only one that's worthy. And sometimes when you, Lord, give me a word and teaching like this, it's so easy to feel unworthy because we are in our humanity. But I pray, Lord, that you'll communicate by your spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we might know, that we might see. Help us to see things we didn't see before because of the illumination of the Holy Spirit in this place. In Jesus' name. There's many attributes to who God is. And they always say, uh, which, uh, like one of the jokes when I was growing up, which one of the nine gifts of the Spirit is the best one? And the answer would be the one that's needed at that time. So which, which uh, attribute of Jesus is best to be highlighted or illuminated? And it is the one that is needed at that time. But one of the things that we see so prevalent in our culture, especially American church, is that there is things that are highlighted that are true about Jesus, but often the things that are maybe even more important, like the holiness of God, are not highlighted, are not shared. And the reality is that in my 30-some years of, of doing ministry, the times that I felt like that I had the most important the most powerful encounters with God in his presence. It wasn't, wasn't the time that I was laughing, though if you don't believe in that, it's all right, but I've had the Lord come on me and I've laughed before. I've had the Lord come on me and I've cried before. I've had the Lord, you know, presence come on me and I've shouted and danced and acted like a fool, which is not difficult for me. But, uh, but when I really sensed the power and the presence of God come in the fullness of his glory, I was usually laying on the floor. And I usually wasn't even saying nothing. I couldn't come up with words. But I was just basking in the presence of the Lord. And one of the things that we hear often among people, especially non-spirit-filled people or non-charismatic people in the body of Christ, is that you can't live on experiences. You have to live on the Word of God. I understand there is truth in that, but... The reality is that God has created us to experience him, to encounter him. Peter said in the book of Acts, he said, repent, be converted, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And there's something about when we talk about the fear of God is that we come into the contact with the presence of the Lord and the holiness of God that the fear of God in that moment becomes a highlighted revelation that we often can't articulate or put into words, but we are encountering the fear of the Lord. When you look in the scriptures, when you see someone that truly encounters God and encounters the fullness of the holiness of God, their response is usually one of all reverence of the fear of God, the place of usually being prostrate. On the, on the ground and you know often today when we talk about the presence of the Lord there can be a, a flippancy about it there can be just a, a nonchalant kind of you know casualness about it that maybe we need to reevaluate I understand that there's been a lot of teaching in the last 20 or 30 years talking about the relationship the friendship with God and that that approach you know that you are able to approach the Lord but the reality is also that he is God. And his, his presence 
it will, it, at least at first, at the moment that you encounter it, it will bring the fear of the Lord. And, and in that place of recognition of the holiness of God, there's so many of these in the scripture, we don't have time to look at all of them, but let me just show you a few. Is People who encountered God was like Moses. Moses was, first of all, encountered God at a burning bush. And the very first thing that was said when he got there, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. There was a place of the holiness of God, the encounter of God, that as he just prostrate before the Lord, took his shoes off, and then God brought a word from heaven. Then we see the picture of Moses when he ascends the mountain and, and God passes by. And we don't, you know, the whole story of that. Pastor even mentioned that last week, that he hid himself in the cleft of the rock. And the backside, if you would, of God went by him and he, he gazed up on it. And it was so impactful that when he came down the mountain, it not only had the impact of scaring him a little bit and the holiness, because it even uses word that pastor was using last week, like tremble and such. But it, when he came down off the mountain, just the residue of the holiness and the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, if you would, uh, that was on Moses, that he had to wear a veil over his face. And pastor mentioned last week that the people even said, yeah, you can go up there and meet him. We, we don't want you know, to encounter him. And then there's so many other places in Scripture, but in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah encounters the Lord. And it says in Isaiah, in the year King Uzziah died, that, you know, it says that Isaiah, he said, I saw the Lord. He was high and he was lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then all of a sudden in this encounter that I don't think is just like a dream or just figment of his imagination. I believe it was a true encounter that he saw the Lord and then all of a sudden as he's encountering God and the angels are flying and he's having this throne room experience that all of a sudden the reality of his humanity in the presence of God then comes to surface because he says, whoa, am I. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then it says in by the, the commissioning of the Lord that the angel went and got a coal from the, the altar there in the, uh, in the throne room and touched the lips of a Isaiah. And then he heard, after his lips were touched, he heard the voice of God say, Who can I send? Who, who will go with me? And I don't even think Isaiah was praying about it, thinking about it. It just kind of spontaneously happened because his lips had been touched by the coal that he says, here I am, send me. And it was all in this place of encountering the holiness and the presence of God. Daniel had several of those encounters with the Lord. And he would lay prostrate. And even at times, it wasn't even God. It was just an angel with the residue of God coming from the glory. And that the angel had to get Daniel back up on his feet and say, don't worship me. I, I, I am not God. And then a lot of people, when we talk about stories like that, they'll say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, I want to highlight today a New Testament. The encounter that John, the beloved, had on the, on the Isle of Patmos. And he was put there as a prisoner because they couldn't get rid of him. They couldn't kill him. You know, even the stories, they tried to kill him and couldn't get rid of him. So they threw him on the island. And what does, what does God do in what they thought was going to be his demise, hide him out there? He received the book of Revelation. And in that, in that encounter, he says, he said, 
I, I was on the Lord's Day, probably Sunday. Some people will argue Sabbath, but it doesn't matter. But it says, I was caught up. And what you have to understand, this may be so much for our brain to take in, but when we are caught up into the dimension of eternity and in the realm of the spirit, that time and space are not the same there. Because literally, if you take the book of Revelation in a literal form like I do, he was actually taken to the very end. He's already been there. He was caught up in the spirit because he's seen those that were coming out of the great tribulation that were dressed in white. So he was actually, he was, there is time travel. And he, and he sees the Lord. This is John the Beloved who probably among all the disciples if you would let me use some kind of a probably feeble way to say it, but he lived probably better than all the other disciples. He was even the one when all of the other disciples were running chicken, he was there at the cross, the only one standing beside the mother of Jesus. And even when Jesus was dying on the cross, that Jesus cries out to John and says, "Take, I'm putting it in hillbilly term, take care of my mom, take care of her. That's how, much, that's how much closeness and intimacy there was with John. Whenever you see the three, Peter, James, and John, they, John was one of those included in the Mount Transfiguration. He's involved in all these great moments and miracles that he's seen Jesus do. And now Jesus has ascended back to heaven. And one of the things that really struck me, and I was praying about this this morning, is that there is something different about Jesus after he goes back to heaven than even the resurrected Jesus upon earth was because he said this he said I'm going back and I'm going to be I'm going to be exalted to the right hand of the father and when I'm exalted when I get back to the father I'm going to send the pedicleet I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back to you and so the reality is this is that there is something that was unique that happened on that day. It was the exaltation of Jesus. So Jesus, yes, he was born. He lived his life. He, he died. He was buried. He rose again. He was 40 days on the planet teaching to other disciples. Then he ascended back to heaven. But then 10 days after that, he was exalted. He became the king he became the exalted king that was promised that he would become. And he is not waiting to be king. He has already been given that place of kingship. All we are now waiting, and there's so much tying in with the way of the stories of kings, but we're waiting for the return of the king. That's where Tolkien got it from. We're waiting for the return of the king to take his rightful place and in, in place of authority here on the earth. Now John, he's caught up and he has this vision. This is a lot, but Revelation 1 verse 12. He turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. We don't have anywhere near time to do all this stuff, but let me just kind of read it. And among the lampstands were someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand his, held the seven stars, and coming out of the mouth was a sharp 
double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. How many know this ain't the marshmallow Jesus? This isn't just like the, the package, you know, commercial Jesus that's being sold in church today. This is the king of all kings. The Lord of all lords in his splendor, in his glory, in his majesty. And, and, and it's, it's not something like, hey, dude, let's hang out. No, he is Jesus. He is king over all. I understand relationship, but I want you to understand he is God. And then we're going to look at this weird thing that I'm going to talk about today that I felt like is Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though I was a dead man. Like a dead man. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last. So what you have to understand, the natural response is going to be fear. And, and, and it is to fear the Lord, because it is the beginning of wisdom. It is what gets you there. I don't even know if I can. I, 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 some of you, I know Pastor and I are listening to the audible part the audible book of John Bevere on the, the awe of God. And one of the things that he said that trains, that just changed everything is that every time now when he goes in the presence of the Lord, he puts himself in that mindset that I'm entering in by the fear of the Lord. A lot of times people read that and say, well, Jesus said not to fear, but he did fear when he first got there. It was that in that place of entering in by the fear of the Lord that he prostrated on the ground because of the holiness of who Jesus was. But then Jesus, his word spoke so that he could alleviate that so that he could come into a place of relationship with him. Doesn't mean that the fear of the Lord should be gone because Jesus said this. It is what gets you there. It's what enters you into the presence of the Lord. Now this is kind of weird, but I, there's, there's a song by a, a lady named Misty Edwards. I think it was off her Re Relentless album. And uh, she's uh, an IHOP girl. International House of Pancakes, no, <laughs> no, the International House of Prayer, and um, and she wrote the, this is one of my favorite songs, but it's it's entitled "People Get Ready, Jesus Is Coming." He and and these are just some of the words from the song. He he's God, but he's fully a man. He was born to be a king. You know, he was silent like a lamb to be to to the slaughter. He was silent in his patience. He endured, and this is what I love how she sings this whole front part, and then it transitioned. Where she says this, but I know the end of the story. And we're only at the beginning. At the beginning, he's coming. He's alive. He's alive. Look upon the one uh, we pierce. Look upon the one we pierce. Who is the king of glory? Who's the king of glory? Jesus, Messiah, the root and the offspring of David. And then I, this is my favorite line in, in the song. He's not a, and I won't try to sing it, but he's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave. And he's not. And then the next line, it goes, it goes on. And it, I, I forgot to put the next line, which is my favorite, where he says, and he's not staying in heaven forever. He's coming back. Not, not, not this figment, not this, you know, what we packaged this Jesus to look like in American Christianity. If you look at Revelation chapter 19, it shows the picture of him coming. These are just artists who try to make a, paint a picture. So yeah, I know sometimes that just throws you. But he's coming back 
And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Revelation 19 verse 11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. We don't preach on that verse very much, do we? His eyes were like the flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen and white and clean followed him on the white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a, a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. You can't cut that out. You can't. I'm not saying that this is the only attribute or only perspective of who Jesus is. But it is one that we neglect. We like the baby in the manger, Jesus. We even love the Jesus nailed to a cross. And we even get excited about the resurrected Jesus. But we have to understand he is holy. And that he is waiting for the timing of the Father to come and return to earth to rule and reign and conquer. And according to what we just read, to make war. And his head and his hair, hair was white as if it was wool as snow. And his eyes as the flame of fire. Real simple here is that I felt like this was what I was going to preach two weeks ago. And the Lord said, no, do this instead. And so he brought me back to this. But it is the flaming eyes of fire. Now, I, we, we could argue a little bit, is this figuratively or is it literally? I almost have to think there, because of how I read it so many times, there's got to be something literal about it too. Not just figurative. There's something literally of flaming fire that his eyes, his gaze. And the reality is, is it the fear of God that comes from those eyes or is it the intimacy of God? It is both of those things. And so that when I, when I see the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord penetrate through everything. It sees into the depths of my soul. Revelation 2 verse 18, these things says the Son of, of God he who has eyes like a flame of fire. In the book of Revelation, we only get a whisper of things. We don't have all details. We would love to have a lot more details. But we have a whisper of things. And most attributes of Jesus are only mentioned one time in the book of Revelation, except for this one. And it's mentioned three times. And it's his flaming eyes of fire. And so Jesus' eyes of fire represent to us the fear of God and the intimacy with God. Jesus' eyes speak of his ability to see everything. Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything, which, uh, possess, uh, which means he possesses all knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. He sees the full truth about everything. He sees through everything as fire penetrates metal. He sees what happens behind the scenes and below the surface. Knowing this equips us to walk in intimacy with God and in the fear of God. He knows every motive. Rats. 
the reality is that there's even time that I've done good things and people look at it and go, Todd, that was so nice. And then the Lord's saying, yeah, but what was the motive behind it? He sees everything. He knows things about us that we are not even completely aware of ourselves. He sees it all. That makes you nervous, don't it? <laughs> Jesus' eyes are pure like fire. He interprets what he sees without any distortion of the facts. Like the news, right? Like the judgments of sinful human judges, we have his full attention. His eyes are always on us. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. The fire in his eyes reveals his desire for us and tenderizes us to walk, or for us to love him and to walk in that love. His eyes see our failures, causing us to walk in the fear of God. He sees our immature longings to love him, giving us confidence. He sees, remembers, and rewards all that we do in serving him, giving relevance to each day. He sees our burdens and walks with us in our intimate way. He knows our future, giving us direction and hope and knows all of our enemies, causing us to have great security. This is the eyes of the Lord. He sees it all. There's nothing that he misses. He sees all the good, all the evil. He sees all the, the, the intentions. He sees all the schemes of the enemy. He sees the craftiness of even other people that are plotting to bring destruction to you. That There is a confidence that you have and a security that you have in walking with the Lord because you know the Lord's always got your back. He sees it all. Now let me just kind of go rapidly through here. Just some, I believe, revelation truths about the eyes of the Lord. Number one, Jesus' eyes of desire. The jealousy of love. His jealousy is pure. He, he's jealous for you. He's jealous for your affection. He's jealous for the best for your life. He doesn't want the worst. The best example I've ever heard is Mike Bickle years ago. I heard him talk about that if one of his daughters dated a guy that was a yeah, you know what I mean. He would be jealous for the, the love of his daughter knowing that she deserves so much better than that. And that's how the Lord looks at us even in our failures, wrong decisions, going in the wrong direction. His jealousy of his love towards just say, I want what's best for you because I love you so much. His eyes of fire reveal his strong desire and burning passion for us. His jealous desire for us cannot be stopped. He warms and tenderizes our hearts with his eyes. Remember years ago reading in the book of Psalms where David sings and he says, the Lord guides me with his eyes. When you, when you begin to have a, a deep relationship with someone, you don't even have to see words or hear words. I mean, you can see them too. But When I was a little boy, mom... Mom didn't have to say anything. She just gave me a look. There was a lot communicated in it. <laughs> Literally, that the eyes of the Lord, are, are he, it's that deep desire, that deep love that he has for us. Jesus is more than our Savior, forgiver. He's more than our healer and master. He is the jealous bridegroom who will 
not relent in his pursuit of us until he, he has all of our heart. We cry, Lord, we want more of you. He says, I want more of you. Oh. There's so much we could say. The, the guys, the disciples on the road to, uh, to Emmaus, Jesus was talking and he finally reveals himself and disappears. And they said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us? Why? Because of the love and the communication of Jesus to their lives and their heart. When we allow ourselves to come into the presence of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord, we will recognize that great desire that he has for us. The second thing, Jesus sees our failures. Walking in the fear of the Lord. He sees all of our failures. Knowing that Jesus sees our failures in loving him causes us to walk in the fear of God. His eyes search our heart with perfect knowledge. The fire that warms our heart also burns it. Burns out those things that are not like him. Hebrews 4 verse 13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Malachi 3. Who can stand when he appears, for he is like a refiner's fire. He will set as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold. Jesus sees both the negative and positive aspects and qualities in our life. Jesus sees our private longings for love and righteousness. He see, you know, it's always like in my mind, I'm thinking like, if it was just like a simple choice, like, just think about something maybe you, you have in your life. Maybe it's anger that you're prone to, and you can snap off. If you had, like, had a button in front of you that's, that God says, here, if you push this button, you will never be angry again. And so you would say, okay, it, it's gone. But it isn't that simple, is it? It's walking it out every day of our life out of the place of relationship with God to overcome those tendencies and those weaknesses in our life. On that day, Jesus will praise you for the things that he saw in you that you may never realize in this age. All the things that we're hoping and, and, and we make such a priority and Jesus is thinking about a lot deeper, isn't he? How he's working in your heart, how he's working in your life. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, the Lord comes who... Um, the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. When we feel cherished, we become confident in our love for God like David did. After 16 months of compromise and zigzag, he knew God delighted in him still. Think about that. It was compromise and he was running from the Lord and so everything in him says God doesn't love you, you're not worthy. But what, does, what happens is when he comes and encounters the Lord, even in his frailty, even in his brokenness, even in his uh, compromise, it says he brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. This is why David, even as messed up as he was, was able to have this place of of, of great prominence and, and be used of God so greatly because of the revelation that he had of how much God delighted in him. Your right hand has, up, has held me up. Your gentleness had made me great. It's that reliance completely upon him. Number three, Jesus sees our longings to him. We become confident in, in, in love, in our love relationship with him. Jesus sees both our negative and positive qualities 
He sees the longings for love that, that we have. And, and it's just what you have to understand is Jesus, he, he wants to fan those moments. He wants to fan those, that, that place of love and intimacy that, and desire that you have for him. He wants, you'll have moments that it, it will seem like it sparks. It, like, it'll be there just like spark there, like, oh, I mean, you know, that love for him. And what, what God wants to do, he wants to fan that. But the reality is you can't, you can't really always muster it up. And it doesn't happen often when you think it will. It could be while you're washing dishes or taking a shower or driving somewhere. But all of a sudden there is an ember of, that's been sparked in your heart of the love that you have and that he has for you. And what you have to do is nurture that. Is say, oh, there it is. I see. It's like when I'm out in the woods and I'm trying to get a fire going and, and I'm trying and trying. I can't get nothing going. And all, but all of a sudden there will be an ember there. And all of a sudden when I get the ember, I don't just like, you know, set back. Oh, that's really nice. I'm fanning that ember, blowing it, you know doing anything I can to get that fire going. And what we must understand is when we have moments of that ember that is happening in our relationship with God, we must do whatever we can do to, to fan that. Number four. Jump ahead a couple. Jesus sees our works. He knows what we do. Jesus perfectly sees, remembers, and rewards all of our works. This makes every day... Listen, this is really good. This, I always just to draw attention to uh, this. This makes every day of our life relevant. Makes every day of our life relevant. And we become aware of that. I tell you, you there's, there's days that I do this and there's days that I don't. And the days that I do it, I become keenly aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing around me. And the days that I'm not, I'm just completely walking oblivious. <laughs> now, I know none of you have ever walked oblivious, but I've had some of those oblivious days. Number five, Jesus sees our bur burdens, the things that we're carrying that no one else sees, the weights. Jesus sees and walks with us in our burdens. Jesus knows everything that is important to our heart, a significant aspect of Intimacy with God is found in knowing that he sees our struggle, pain, and even our greatness. Jesus knows that our heart, he knows our heart better than we do. I have a friend of mine, and he was, he's been, he had tried to make it in, in music business and everything. And he, he's just frustrated, why, why wouldn't the Lord ever allow that to happen? And I just shared with him, because maybe it would destroy you. Because he knows your heart better than you do. How many know that even the favor of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God, you have to be able to handle those things. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Number six, Jesus sees our future, our direction, and our hope. He, Jesus, the prophet, knows our future as well as the future of all nations. Nothing surprises him. I always, you know, say that, like, Jesus didn't wake and like something happens in your life. Jesus didn't wake up and going, oh, wow, that really shocked me. You know, even our behavior. I mean, you know, he's not shocked. The new Jerusalem will descend with the Father's throne. Jesus will restore to us all that he had originally intended in creating the Garden of Eden. It's all in his, his purpose. And then the last thing, Jesus sees our enemies. 
Jesus knows all of our enemies and their strategies against us. This brings us great security because we know that the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, knows exactly what the enemy is planning to do against us. That's why it's good to stay connected to him. For you are my rock and my fortress. Lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Let me just kind of wrap this all up. It's very different than the normal stuff that I do. But our knowledge of his omniscience, omniscience, he knows everything, persuades us to not quit. That's exactly one of the words pastor was giving earlier in worship. Not to quit. When I, when I realize and have a revelation, he got, he's got this. He's got it. He's got this. He knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him. It persuades us not to quit, to pursue what is good, and to resist evil or sin. It causes us not to quit, causes us to pursue what is good, and it causes us to resist evil or sin. Jesus' leadership is seen in his beautiful and brilliant mind and insight, which is expressed as he executes his awesome plans for human history, both natural and eternal. And guess what? You are a part of that. Amen? Amen. Oh, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you have eyes of fire, flaming fire. You, there is nothing that is beyond your sight. You see it all, Lord. You know it all. And so, Lord, the, the flaming eyes of fire, they'll bring me to two places. First of all, it'll cause me to walk in the fear of the Lord. It will cause me to enter into your presence by the fear of the Lord. But then when I get there, Lord, it's going to be a place of intimacy, a place of relationship, Everything in my heart will be healed. My life will be given direction and purpose. That's all found in place of your presence, God. With your eyes of flaming fire. Lord, I just pray that people, even this week, will have the revelation of that. That even in prayer times, in moments of just silence before you, that your eyes of fire will be revealed to them. And what that means for them individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Let's lift your heads again. Lift your heads. Close your eyes. You're going to, we're going to face things, but the Lord's going to give us the capacity to go farther than we thought we could go in our own ability. many of you can assess already that you've gone further than you ever thought you would with the Lord it's because you did not have the capacity to understand even now but the Lord's taking us farther in him just tell him I want to be closer to you than ever than ever 
than anything else. As Paul said, it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. Everything other than the excellency of Jesus is nothing. It's worthless. If you sense the Lord drawing your heart to Him, and you want to just take a few moments at the altar, let's go ahead and stand together as we close. Just take a few, like a consecration moment. Just say, Lord, I'm going to be, I feel like the Lord did signal to us today. I'm breaking you out of something that hell had put resistance. And usually when that happens, it's because the adversary sees the blessing coming and he wants to discourage you from it. Let's go ahead and establish that we're going to walk into the blessing of the Lord. We're going to walk into the blessing of the Lord. It's all Him, brothers and sisters. It's all Him. As we close, you can come forward. We'll be dismissed. God bless.